Amen. Amen. So let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. It's the last, last chapter in this uh, epistle, in this book. It's been a wonderful study. And uh, I'm not saying we're through because you know how slow we go. So we still got a ways to go. But we're going to read the first four verses tonight and, and open this up and, and just let the Lord speak to us through it. This is definitely directed to a very specific audience tonight. You'll see it uh, in mean, this letter when, when Peter wrote it. The Holy Ghost wrote it through Peter. 1 Peter 5, 1. The elders which are among you I exhort. So that's who he's speaking to. Who am also, speaking of himself, an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So he's speaking to elders. He's speaking to, and we're just studying through our Bibles, and this is where we are right now. And it's for all of us. I know it's directed specifically to elders of the church. <clears throat> so he's writing to these um, believers that were scattered and persecuted in this part of the world. And he says, to the, the elders, I'm exhorting you as a fellow elder. El, elder is simply this. If you look it up in your Bible, it means a presbyter, an overseer, a bishop, or a pastor. It's any of those things. An elder is a presbyter, an overseer, a bishop, or a pastor. And what we're going to relate it to, and what the Bible relates it to in this passage, is to a shepherd looking over his flock. Looking over his flock, okay? So just keep that in mind the whole time. This is who he's, he's speaking to. Now, you've got a veteran shepherd here, Peter, who has lived his life, and he's coming towards the end of his life. And he is, this is the, the last, well, he wrote Second Peter, but still, he's coming towards the end of his life, and he is writing this to exhort the, the pastors, the elders, the leaders of these different churches. And I always say this, when somebody knows they're going to be going home to be with the Lord soon, they're not going to be fooling around. In other words, their time's going to be precious, it's going to be valuable. The time they're going to spend with other people, family, whatever, is going to be uh, quality time, I guess you would say. And it's just like when Jesus was about to go to the cross. He knew He was going to be arrested that night at the Last Supper. The things He spoke to His disciples in John say chapter 15, 16, 17 before He went to the cross. And it's kind of similar to that. That Peter has lived his life ups and downs and all kinds of things in his, in his life. And he denied the Lord and he walked on water. And you know he did all type, kinds of things. He was there on the day of Pentecost and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and preached on Pentecost. Used greatly of the Lord in a tremendous way. God ordained him to be a, a, uh, an apostle to the Gentiles of his day. And so he has this track record of walking with the Lord. But he's coming to the end of his life. It would be like, a, let's just picture a real shepherd, okay, who really cares for the sheep. They're not just a hireling. The Bible talks about the difference between the two, right? Uh, one, you know, one is just a job. It's a paycheck. He's punching the time clock. He's not going to lay down his life for the sheep. John talk, uh, Jesus talks about it in John chapter 10. He says a, a hireling's going to see a wolf coming and he's going to flee. He's going to save his own hide. If he loses a few sheep in the process, 
oh well, it's not worth you know eight fifty an hour. I'm not going to worry about it. He's just a hireling. But a true shepherd is going to lay down his life for the sheep, and that's what Jesus is. He's a good shepherd, and any minister that God's truly called is going to be of the same heart. Not that we're Jesus or any pastor is Jesus, but he's going to have that mindset. And so you just picture a real shepherd who's loved these sheep and cared for these sheep on the hillsides, and he's got his boys who have been his apprentices, basically. And he's taught them all the ropes, and now he's about to die. And he says, sons, come here. Uh, I want you to... I'm getting ready to go home to be with the Lord. I'm entrusting these sheep into your hands. I'm putting them in your hands. Tend to the sheep. Mind the flock. Watch over the sheep. Put them first. Put them above everything. And that's kind of the, the picture that you get here from, from uh, Peter. He's saying, mind the flock. Okay? And so, what you can also see here in this, this little few little verses, these four verses, is basically the simplicity of the makeup of the church. You know, over the years, the church has gotten real complicated, right? There's hierarchies, there's different denominations, there's bishops, there's councils, there's this, that, and the other. But in the early church, anywhere there was a group of believers, that would have been a flock. You see what I'm saying? That would have been a flock. And then God would raise up a shepherd or a pastor or an elder. It's pretty simple. And that's really all there was. Wherever God's people were, even though there were flocks and there still are today, they would, you would say scattered abroad around the whole planet. There's believers in China and North Korea and you know, Canada, Mexico, Cuba, all over the place. There's believers. Those are flocks. But really it's one, uh, one big body of Christ. It's one big sheepfold. Everybody that's truly born again. Not everybody that goes to church or has the name on the role of a church, but everyone that's truly born of the Spirit of God is part of that uh, flock. Jesus, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said in John 10, in that passage about the shepherd, He says, for though there are many folds, there is but one flock. Okay, there are many folds scattered around. Even in our city, there's different folds and wonderful groups of believers. But there's one flock. And Jesus is the good shepherd and the chief shepherd. He's over all of it. Not all that calls itself, all that calls itself Christian, but all that truly is of Christ. And He knows the difference. Amen? And so, uh, it all belongs to one owner, so to speak. And the price that He paid was His blood. He bought His sheep unto Himself. Amen? You and me sitting here tonight, we've been purchased with that same blood. And um, all of those that He puts in places of authority are to do His will for the sheep that He cares for very much and that He purchased with His own blood. And so every type of leader in some aspect that's a true leader of God is going to be a shepherd or have a shepherd's heart. And so uh, it's interesting that He doesn't talk anything about here, nor does the Bible, about the need for some priestly hierarchy or chain of command I know that there's order in the church. He talks about pastors and bishops and, and elders and deacons. He does speak of that. But there's not uh, like a line of secession or this priest needs to offer this sacrifice. He's not going to add to what Jesus sacrificed on the cross when, when He offered Himself to be the, the atonement, the paying price for the sins of the world. There's no sacrifice that could be added to that. And uh, Christ's blood was sufficient for that. Now, if there was ever a time 
towards the end of his life, if there ever was a time for Peter to make mention of that. Or say, by the way, I'm going to get it straight, all this uh, hierarchy in the church or the need for a specific priest or something. He would have done that. And the Holy Ghost would have made sure that he did it. Also, if there would have ever been a time for Peter to mention himself as being the first pope, so to speak, it would have been here. Okay? somewhere in the Bible. It definitely would have been here when he's exhorting these elders. But look what he says. He says, "There, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder." He doesn't. He doesn't differentiate himself from these other people. I'm exhorting the elders, just what we call an average nameless that we don't know their names. Joe Blow, who was an elder in some church in the area of Turkey today, because that's who he's writing to people around the Black Sea and up there. Let's just say um, he's writing to those. And there's some pastor that God raised up, known known in heaven and known by the Lord and to to that local church. But he says, I'm exhorting you elders who am also an elder. So he's not not, uh, putting himself on a pedestal. The Bible doesn't do that. You understand that 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 belief of Peter being the first pope... uh, is not a biblical... You won't find that in the Bible. Okay, The closest thing you'll see to it, and it's very quickly cleared up, is in Matthew 16 where Peter makes that profession of faith where the Lord says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord says, well, well done, you know, uh, Simon, son of Jonah. Flesh and blood didn't show you this, but my Father in Heaven showed you this. And I say unto you, that upon uh, your your name's you know Simon, you're going to be called Peter, and upon this uh, rock will I build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And everybody that you study, and even just from looking at it, Peter didn't say, "Oh wow, I'm going to be the, the the Pope. I'm going to be the man that Christ builds His church upon." Never. Not one of the apostles saw it. Nobody said it. Nobody has believed that. It was that profession of faith that was the rock. What did Christ build His church upon? Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. It's that profession, it's that belief, that genuine salvation, saving faith to put our faith in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Bible says that uh, nobody can say that Christ is Lord but by the Spirit. It's that profession that Peter made by the revelation of the Holy Ghost. He wasn't just talking off the top of his head. He wasn't just saying something that sounded good. He had an impartation of the Holy Ghost to reveal that truth to him, and he spoke it, and the Lord says, that's well said. That's what I'm going to build my church upon. So there's not... uh, Peter had a position, a significant position in God's kingdom and in God's plan and His purpose and a calling. There's no doubt about it. I'm not trying to take away from it, but he was not the first pope. And he was humble and said, I'm exhorting you elders who am also an elder. There is one thing he did differentiate between himself and uh, and these other elders, if you'll see it. Who am also, verse 1, an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He did witness the sufferings of Christ. They, these others did not. Alright? And so that, that is something significant that's important. He mentions it. He's not boasting about it. He's just simply making a statement here that's an important statement. I'm a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so he saw maybe at a distance, he had denied the Lord, and he was hiding out, and he was, but he was there. 
You know what I mean? He was in the shadows. He was around. He, they all fled when he was arrested. And he came back and he was there from a distance observing his mock trial, he, you know, the beatings, the, uh, the, the road down Calvary, bearing his cross, the crucifixion. He was there on resurrection morning and saw him uh, risen from the dead, the empty tomb as well. And so uh, that, that did differentiate him in that sense. And so uh, the one qualification, I guess you would say, for tending to the flock of God, what is it? The one qualification is not to have uh, simply be educated in, say, the, the right schools or seminaries or things like that. And again, I'm not knocking seminaries or schools. I'm saying that's not the qualification for being a pastor or a shepherd of God's people. Um, it's not uh, being able to talk eloquently about spiritual things. It's not uh, to be in some apostolic line or succession that I'm, I'm the son of so-and-so who's the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so. Uh, none of that matters. Okay, Somebody could be uh, perfect in all those areas and still not be competent to lead God's people. Not to be a shepherd of the flock of God. We must see the Lord Himself in the sufferings of Christ. Not physically. That happened as a historical event. Event. Very few people on the, on the planet ever saw that. When you really think about the whole history of mankind, how few people saw Him suffer on the cross. That's not the qualification, but in our heart of hearts, and I would say it for every believer, it has to be that we are have been a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You understand what I'm saying? We sing about the cross. It has to be more than a song. There has to be that point in your life individually where you came and you reckoned it to be so by faith. You reckoned it to be that He shed His blood, that God's only beloved Son died on the cross for the sins of the world. And it's real to you. It's not a story and it moves from here to here. And by faith, we are partakers of the sufferings of Christ. There's an eye of our soul, basically. Some of the Christian authors talk about that uh, the gaze of the soul upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that to be so. I believe it's by faith. I think it's of the Spirit. I'm not talking about something mystical or weird. I'm talking about something where the Holy Ghost gives you that revelation knowledge. And by faith, I've never seen the Lord physically. You know, I've never given Him a hug or a handshake or anything like that. And yet, I've seen the Lord. I've never heard an audible voice of the Lord, but I've heard the Lord. And, and you have too. And so that would be a qualification that our hearts, uh, by, by faith, our soul has seen uh, the sufferings of Christ. We've been cleansed in that blood that He shed on the cross. Amen? Uh, and it's amazing. Only, if, only a few people, as I said, ever saw that suffering. But all of us can see the glory. So think about it. Isn't that what He says? He says, I'm a, a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. There's going to be a glory. The rapture of the church. You know, we're going to pass from this state, a physical state, and everything, spiritual state, to go into instantly being with the Lord's in the clouds and all this earthly stuff's over with. I mean, instantly, everything's just left behind and we shall be changed in a moment, the twinkling of an eye. There's going to be a glory to that and all the following glory about His return and His earthly kingdom and then the new Jerusalem and, and all the things that are going to take place after that. We have the privilege, just the sheep, plain old sheep like you and me, 
are going to, we didn't see the physical sufferings of Christ like Peter did, but we are a partaker of that glory which shall be revealed. It was, it was something Peter was looking forward to. It's something that we're still looking forward to uh, when that glory is going to be revealed. Like I said, I believe at the rapture. I want you, uh, if you would, just turn quickly to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to go back to 1 Peter. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's where it's going to be revealed. We're going to be changed. We're going to become Christ-like. We'll never become Christ. He'll always be Christ. We'll always be the redeemed of the Lord and the people of God, the saints of God, uh, joint heirs with Jesus, and so forth. Even a partaker of His divine nature, the Bible says. But there's a glory of God that's going to be revealed in us. And, and we look forward to that. Amen? We look forward to that. Peter was looking forward to it at the end of his earthly life as well. So let's look at this. We're back in 1 Peter, when he says, feed the flock in verse 2. You elders, I'm exhorting you, feed the flock of God which is among you. That word feed can actually be translated to tend. Because the word tend kind of covers it all. Tend, T-E-N-D. Like tend to the flock. It includes... Uh, the whole picture of being a shepherd really. Leading, feeding, watching, defending. All that would be tending to the sheep. Amen? And so, uh, if we're gonna, if anybody, pastor or shepherd, is going to feed the sheep, tend to the sheep, feed the flock that's among them, then we need to do it, or he or she, he needs to do it in such a way that we're feeding the meat of the Word. The milk of the Word, the sincere Word of God. We cannot feed them something other than that. We tend them, tend to them, we lead them, we feed them, we protect them, watch over them. The pastors do, the elders do. But what they feed them is very important. What's being fed, amen? Uh, the sincere Word of God. It's, a not, it's not enough to preach to the flock once a week or twice a week. It's, that's not enough. There must be a personal uh, watching over, caring for their souls. It has to be. And this is what he's, he's talking about here. This would be for any true pastor that's called of the Lord. And must, must watch for the souls of those that have gone astray. And he's going to give account to God for those that have gone astray. At least doing all he could, the shepherd could do to bring them back. Amen? So the, these things are important. And Paul told Timothy, it's real similar you know, Paul, at the end of his life, the last epistle he wrote, 2 Timothy, the last chapter, chapter 4, he says, uh, he says I, ex- I exhort you, Timothy, you know, by, the, by Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the quick and the dead as it is appearing, uh, preach the Word. Preach the Word is what he tells him. Preach it. He, he stresses, Paul stresses sound doctrine. Who is he talking to? He's talking to his young pastor, disciple, Timothy, who is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Very similar to what Peter's saying here. They had the right heart and the right mindset about it. I want to read one more Scripture real quickly from Acts 20. Now here's Paul. He's coming back from his last, uh, I believe, of three missionary trips. And he's coming back and he last time he was going to meet, this was the last time he had any kind of meeting with the, the leaders of the church in that part of the world and from Ephesus. Specifically, in verse 28, read it. It's very simil- similar. Acts 20, 28. 
Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. That's an elder, bishop, pastor, shepherd. To, to feed the church of God, which He purchased with His own blood. It's very important to know, and every pastor better remember it, and every church member ought to remember it, that it's Christ's flock. It's the flock that He purchased to Himself. It's the church that the Holy Ghost made the pastor the overseer of. If, he's a real, if it's a real calling of God. I keep saying that because you understand that people could appoint themselves pastor or elder or unspiritual board could set this man over them who is not called of God. You understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about in the real sense in God's way. It's God's people. It's His sheep. We are the sheep, uh, His people and the, the sheep of His pasture, the Bible says. And so, um, it's just a very sobering call. It's a very serious call. It's a wonderful thing, but it, it's not something to be uh, taken lightly. The work must be done in love. So back in 1 Peter, feed the flock of God which is among you, verse 2, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. And so the picture here is that it has to be done, the pastoring, the shepherding, the, the tending to the flock, the feeding the flock, protecting them, guiding them, loving them, going after them. It has to be done uh, out, of, out of the love of the Lord. It, it, it cannot be done simply because this is a pretty neat profession. I think I'll try it. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of times when people... Honestly, and, and you could say with a good intention even, there are people that would say, I've always wanted to be a pastor, and I'm going to go to seminary, and I'm going to study pastoral ministry, and I'm going to find me a church. And all of that sounds great. All that is great if they're bathed in prayer and they're being led by the Lord, and that's a calling of God upon their lives. Because a lot of people that God made pastors, that the Lord made pastors, never wanted to be pastors and never thought that they would be pastors. And the Lord said, yep, that's what I've called you to do and to be. And so, But it has to be out of love. It cannot be, um, it says, by constraint, Peter says, but willingly, not for filthy lucre. That's basically for a paycheck. That's basically would be a leader, an elder, that would make merchandise from the people. It's not saying that the pastor shouldn't uh, be recompensed and and have a salary and get his living from that. He's saying that he can't be a pastor and, and tend to the flock for the purpose of filthy lucre is what he calls it here. Just gain. Just worldly gain for himself. He says, but of a ready mind. Okay? And one of the authors I was studying said, God's pastors are not mercenaries. That would be like a hired soldier, a mercenary. They don't have any real allegiance to the country. They say, you're a good fighter. We could use you a little band of men. Uh, okay, they go to the highest bidder. We'll give you this much money. You go in and fight with our armies. And that's what a mercenary is. God's pastors and shepherds are not mercenaries. They're not hired guns. They're all volunteer labor. In other words, they've, they've Lord, boy, I'm going. I'm, I'm doing what you've called me to do. I'm volunteering. You've called me. I'm saying yes. And so... There's a big difference. And, and, and that pastor needs to be that. He needs to be of that mindset. Set, okay? He's got to have a heart, like I said, of a shepherd. 
that really, and God has to impart that. God has to impart that. You just don't invent it one day sitting around, and He, and he does do that. And so uh, it's not merely liking people a whole lot. Some people just like people a whole lot. It is a real impartation of the Lord and His love. It doesn't arise out of our flesh. It arises from the Holy, arises from the Holy Ghost. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts in Romans 5 by the Holy Ghost. Right? That's an amazing thing too. We've talked about it a lot. How do you love your enemies? How do you love strangers? How do you love people that persecute you and despitefully use you and say all manner of evil against you falsely? How do you love them? Because the Bible commands us to. Well, I'm going to just go try a little bit harder. We're going to fail every time. We have to go in prayer and say, God, do this in me. You know, and He'll test us. He'll put us to the, the test. And we'll put people in our lives that are unlovable. And he'll, com- he'll command us to love them. But He'll also help us to do it. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's the love of God. It's not the human love notched up a few degrees. It's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, all of it is done as unto the Lord. Because over every shepherd who's over every flock of God, there's the chief shepherd. He's over it all. It's his body. He's the head of his body. He's the good shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one who's coming back. He's the one that we all give account to. And so um, everybody has to, to keep that in mind. Amen? Have to keep that in mind. God, God calls to the work. He calls the pastor to the work. And then He sustains the pastor in the work. There are times that the man of God may feel like he cannot continue. It's too much for me. It's overwhelming. This people is too much for me. I would consider Moses in the Old Testament a shepherd of his people. He's like, Lord, this is your people. These bunch of rebellious people. They're too much for me. You know? And and but but then he would pray and then he had a shepherd's heart and he interceded for the people even when God says, Moses, I'm gonna wipe them all out and start a new nation with you. And and Moses intercedes and says, Lord, what would people say about your great name? This is your people. You've you know that you've called by your name that you brought out. And he interceded for the people. He laid down his life for the sheep. And uh, that there's God gives the the calling. But then he also gives the equipping to do it. And it's every moment of every day for the whole life of that minister of God, the, the guidance and the grace needed to effectively pastor or shepherd his people. It has to come from the Lord. Just like everything in, in all of our lives, to live for Christ day by day comes for the, from the Lord. But it's God's heritage, it's not our own. It's not the pastor doesn't own the sheep. He's the shepherd. He's the steward. He's, he's committed to lay down his life. But it's his, as I said, his people, the sheep of his pasture, my flock, the Lord Jesus calls it. And um, it's, it's the same. You know, I was thinking about this. In, in one sense, it's not, just, uh, it's not just the pastors. It's somebody that has some kind of position where you're teaching the kids Sunday school upstairs, for example. I know you're not the pastor, but you're watching over their souls. Nobody's up there watching you to see if you're doing a good job. Nobody's up there watching to see 
Are you loving him? Are you caring? Are you taking it seriously? Nobody was there with you on Saturday to see, or Friday to see if you were preparing and praying, and praying, you know, for God to anoint you and equip you to teach those little kids, or to go to Foxy's or to go on a mission trip. In that sense, we have to be shepherd-minded and take it that seriously. And don't don't despise it if it's just a few little people. Well, we would say just a few little people. The Lord doesn't want any shepherd of any power. I would say most churches, if you looked at the whole planet, the whole globe, most true Christian churches are not big. Most true Christian churches, I don't know what the average size is, but they're not. It might be 50 people or less. We always think of the big churches and the ones that have pastors that are authors and, and things like this are the ones you see on TV. But those pastors, the sheep that are allotted to them, so to speak, to those shepherds, are given to them from the Lord. In other words, the Lord placed this 15 people into this pastor's hands. He says, you watch over those 15 people now. You watch over them. You lay down your life for them. I purchased them with my blood. They're important to me. And I want them to be important to you. I want to give you my heart for these 15 sheep. And I want it's important to me. And I don't think that pastor of that church will have any less reward than the pastor of a church of 3,000. Both are, are equal in the sense are they faithful to the calling. Nor do I think a pastor is going to have some bigger reward necessarily than another person that's faithful to what you're called to or he or she is called to. You understand what I'm saying? There's a faithfulness to God. And we ought not despise the fact that it's little. I go up there and I teach six little kids in Sunday school. They're bouncing off the walls. You know, I know I've taught them before too. Um, they're bouncing off the walls. And I don't even know if they get it. I don't even know if it's worth, worth me praying like I do. They're crawling under the ping pong table upstairs. You know, just let them go. You know, I'll, I'll focus on these. And yet, um, are we faithful to it though? Do you take it seriously? Or do you say, oh, I forgot I'm, pre I'm teaching this morning. You know what I'm saying? That might happen sometime, but it ought not happen often, okay? So, oh, I'm teaching this morning, and we act like we had it all under control. We're grabbing the book to look for something to teach. God's faithful, and He might honor that anyway. But I promise you, that's not the, the pattern that He would want for our lives. And so, God is carefully marking how you tend to His sheep. Carefully watching how you tend to his sheep. Parents, God's carefully watching how you tend to your children in the Lord. Not just making sure they're sure they're fed and clothed, and he's watching how you tend. They're his sheep. If they've given their lives to Christ, and he certainly wants them all to be. Um, he's watching how we tend to them. It's important to the Lord. And we know the the last encounter that Jesus had one on one with Peter was in John 21. You don't have to turn there, but three times where he asked him, do you, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Right? Lord, you know all things. We just talked about this, I think, Sunday. And he says, uh, you know all things, Lord. You know if I love you. Feed my sheep. That's what I want you to do. That's the last thing I'm giving you. That's the last thing I'm putting into your hands and it's valuable to me. You feed my sheep. And, and he did. And he was faithful to that. God always gives the strength to do it. We're all given account, all of us, but certainly the pastors and shepherds are given account 
to the chief shepherd one day. We'll stand before him. It won't be me and a bunch of people with me to deflect some of the attention away from me. It'll be me and the Lord. Then it'll be Dee and the Lord. You know, it'll be Michael and the Lord and Madeline and the Lord. It'll be one-on-one. You stand before the Lord. There's plenty of time. He can handle all the people. He's going to do it. And, and we'll be standing before the Lord. And it's important that we, we, uh, we let, we let, we're faithful to what He called us to do. We tended to the sheep. We tended to whatever God uh, led us to do. All of the worry and the fret and the care for the sheep, the pastor has to be able to roll it over to the Lord. It is too much for the individual man. So that's where the prayer life is so important in the faith. To be able to have the heart to get locked up with the Lord in that prayer closet and to be able to come before the Lord and Lord be with Sherry, you know, be with Jenny, be with Clarissa, help her, or maybe somebody's straying from the Lord. I'm really concerned about so and so. And be able to lay those cares upon the Lord in, in prayer and in faith and leave them with God. You see what I'm saying? He, he's able to do that. And um, the, the object of the pastor, the goal, can never be to, to please the flock. It can't be to flee, please the flock, nor to attract the praise of men. It has to be to be faithful to the calling of God, to the good shepherd who called him to be a shepherd over his people. It's all the Lord. It's, it's the Lord, his people, his pastor over his people. It's not so this one elder or pastor can gain the applause of men. Hey, that worked pretty good. I'm going to start incorporating that more into my services or into my this or into my that. It gets the applause of men. It gets the, uh, the notice of men or the fame. It makes me more famous among people. And it should not even be necessarily to please the flock. It's to please God and to make sure that the flock's being fed what God has given to feed His people. And that's the sincere milk of the Word, the meat of the Word, the truth as it is in Christ Jesus, and so forth. And let me tell you, nobody cares for all the sheep more than the chief shepherd. Who cares for me and all of y'all and every pastor and every church and every congregation from the least newest believer to the oldest saint. Nobody cares for his sheep like Jesus. So it's all done as unto him. Amen? And... Um, and then when he goes on to say, we're going to be bringing this to a close, he says, not of a filthy for filthy lucre, but for a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage. It's God's heritage. Again, it's God's heritage. It's not for the pastor, that specific human being, that man, to lord it over the people. To just lord it over. Just like it would, it's not the place for a, a husband to lord it over his wife. Even though the Bible does say wives be in subjection to your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's the government of God. That's His positioning. But at the same time, the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. And so it all... You need to look at the whole picture. And so the pastor is... He does have a, God, does have a God-ordained position. It's real. The people should recognize it. The pastor should recognize it. But the pastor and the people should also recognize... We're all accountable to Christ. And it's not the pastor's duty nor right to lord it over the people. Rather, he says, specifically, um, 
but being examples to the flock. That is so important, y'all. It's so important. I would say for anybody that's in any kind of Christian period and any kind of leadership you have, from the ushers that pass out communion here or those that stand up in this pulpit and open in prayer or open communion or teach or preach or anybody, that we are to be examples to the flock. It's very important. It's not enough to... Uh, you know, in, the, in the, a real shepherd in the eastern world, eastern part of the world, you know, shepherds didn't drive the sheep with a whip and keep them moving out in front of them. The shepherds led the flock and the sheep followed, right? I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. That's the picture of shepherding. All in the Bible. And it should be the, the picture of shepherding in our churches today. Where the pastor leads not only with the words and the right sermons, but in his life and his lifestyle and his behavior and his honesty and his, his, uh, his love, everything, he's got to lead by example. Okay? Lead by example. Not that, not that anyone's perfect, but, but we certainly need to do more than just preach it. He's, uh, Paul told Timothy, and you don't have to turn there, but it's a wonderful scripture. If you're taking notes, 1 Timothy 4.12. He says, Timothy, be an example to the brethren in word, in conversation, that's our lifestyle, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You be an example to the flock in all those ways. You know, it's one thing we preach it and preach it and preach it and preach it, but y'all all could see, am I really living it? My family could certainly see, am I really living it? And it's important. God's pastors and His men and His shepherds are to be examples to the flock. Our behavior our consistency. It ought to be something, not that's bragged about, but it ought to be something that's a clear picture of Christ. The consistency of a man's walk with God. They're not up and down like a yo-yo. They're consistently walking with the Lord. As long as I've known them, they've consistently walked with the Lord. Yes, I've seen faults in their life. Yes, I've seen sins in their life. But that's not the pattern. The pattern has been a consistent walk with the Lord. That is so important in being an example in our behavior, our conversation. That simply means our lifestyle. It means a pattern. And I'm, I'm going to close with this. If Let's say that there's someone somewhere on the planet uh, that's a true believer and either they don't have a good pastor and there's nowhere else to go. Okay? They don't have a good pastor that's measuring up to this and they, they just don't have a, another place to go. That we can cry out to the Lord. Those believers, God's going to take care of them. As I said, nobody cares for the sheep like the shepherd, but they, need not to, they don't need to follow a bad pastor off a cliff. They need to call upon the good shepherd and let him be their shepherd and feed them and study the Word and maybe God will raise up that man or, or that person. Let's read this, and this will be the last... Scripture that we turn to. Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 34. We're going to start in verse 11. Ezekiel 34, 11. Now one of the rebukes, if you've studied Ezekiel, that the Lord, one of the things that's being dealt with is the shepherds in Israel in, in Ezekiel's day were not godly. They didn't care for the sheep. They let the wolves come, so to speak, and, and take all the people off into idolatry and so forth. But let's look at this. Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I, even I, 
will both search my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeketh out his flock in the day that he is among that he is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they have been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the people and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land and feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the rivers and in and all, all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in a good pasture and upon the high mountains of Israel shall their fold be. There shall, there shall they lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture and shall feed upon the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord. I will seek that which was lost and bring that which was driven away and will bind up that which was broken and will strengthen that which was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will feed them with judgment. And so that's a wonderful passage. I just thought we closed with it. I do believe it's primarily speaking about Israel there. But still we see the shepherd heart of God there in the Old Testament as well. He said that if you'd read earlier, uh, you people that were priests and should have been the shepherds of my people, you failed miserably. You didn't do your job. You didn't care for the sheep. You were selfish. You didn't care about the sheep. And they're scattered all over the place. He goes, I'm going to search them out. I'm going to find them. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to tend to them. I'm going to bind up their wounds. Those that have been hurt, I'm going to do it. And he is a good shepherd and the, and the best shepherd. And the last thing we'll close with is, is this crown or this glory that's going to be revealed. And so Peter says that, uh, and when the chief shepherd, verse 4, shall appear, ye shall receive, remember he's still speaking of the elders, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so the greatest reward for any shepherd of God's people, including for Peter and Paul, any pastor of the church today is going to be the reward that God gives. The greatest reward for any believer is going to be the reward that God gives. You may not be thanked by men. You may not be appreciated by men. You may not be recompensed by men. But he says that there's a crown of glory that fades not away. It's eternal. There's three crowns that, that we could all seek after. One of the authors was speaking of. He says in every believer, the the crown of life to those who endure temptation, the crown of righteousness to those who love His appearing, says in Hebrews, and the crown of glory to those who tend His flock. Amen? And we can all, uh, maybe not all tend in His flock, but we can all be loving His appearing. Amen? And, and, And even so, Lord, come quickly. We can be faithful to whatever God's called us to be. This was a specific message for the elders. That's what the, the Word of God had for us tonight. But I do believe it's something we can all learn from. Amen? I'm just going to close this in prayer tonight. Just take your time to be with the Lord for a few minutes in prayer before the Lord.